U.S. inflation has eased by almost any measure you care to use and with it the heightened expectation that the Fed will hold next time and maybe a finish for good. But bond yields are higher this morning. We'll look at why that is. Plus a weakening yen despite the best efforts of the Bank of Japan. GDP from the U.K., the country that continues to surprise. And Joe Biden issues an executive order clearly designed to stop China getting too much AI expertise from the States. It's Friday, the 11th of August, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. And with it being Friday, this is the first of two podcasts today, because later on we'll release our weekend edition when Gemma Dale from NAB Trade will be joining me to talk about Australian shares as we get into the meaty part of the Australian earnings season. We'll talk about how to pick the best returns when inflation is high, interest rates are rising and confidence is waning. If you uh, subscribe, you'll get it on your podcast app, the same place that you're getting this episode, presumably. Meanwhile, on the day of US inflation, 10-year Treasury bonds are up a basis point points up three in Germany and France. Aussie 10-year yields were up five yesterday to 4.04% and up another four on futures overnight. What is going on? The US dollar has edged up ever so slightly on the DXY. It's up another 0.7% on the Japanese yen. The Aussie stuck around 65.3 US cents. The pound down 0.3%. The euro is up just 0.1%. And US stocks are, well, they're in the green, but only just a 0.1% rise in the Nasdaq, 0.2% for the Dow, and just in the green, less than 0.1% for the S&P, although it's had a fairly choppy ride today. The Russell 2000 is down 0.4% at close. And Europe uh, was on the rise, though, 1.6% for the Eurostoxx 50, 0.9% for the DAX, 0.4% for the FTSE 100. And falls in oil today, 1.7% off WTI and 1.2% off Brent. Not enough to wipe off the gains from yesterday and the day before, though. In fact, the trend is clearly on the up, and WTI only fell slightly short short of the 52-week high in mid-session. Brent getting close to it too, but both of them a long way back from it now. So on the day that US inflation slowed further, both the headline rate and the core rate, NAB's Ken Compton joins me from Sydney today. So, I mean, this has got to be welcome news, hasn't it? Because there was some expectation that maybe the headline rate might tick up a little bit, So, but it didn't. So doubly good news, just 0.2% up July, uh, month on month, same as last time, whereas, of course, prior months, uh, price growth was uh, pretty much double that. So whichever way you look at it, it's a good day for US inflation. Yeah, good morning, Phil. I think that's a pretty fair assessment of the CPI being being good. Um, you know, we saw core come in at 0.2 as well as the headline. Um, you know, the, the people who uh, tear it apart into multiple decimal points, you know, 0.16. So once again, it's arguably one of those, you know, barely there um, point. Point two, so certainly good news on, on that measure. And that gives you the slowest core increase in over a couple of years on a year-on-year basis. So um, I think just over four is where that is where that particular core measure is sitting. And you know, some of those other core measures that, that tear the CPI, you know, apart even even further, almost getting into a bit of data mining, but um, but but those are showing are showing some slowing as well. In fact, you know, so the um, one of the Not super core measures that Bloomberg talks about, you've got a two point eight eight on the um, you know, on, on the core services x um, x, x a few other things. So that's um, yeah, yeah an, an all around good number. But that's slightly up, isn't it? The super core. I mean, it's been going down, so we shouldn't get too excited about it. But that super core number is is the only one. Whichever way you want to spin all of this, that's the only one where actually you could go, oh, that one's gone up a bit. That exactly, yeah, and you know, and that's where I guess a little bit of the concern about the 
sort of future of CPI in a more global sense is, um, is where is where some of these services services numbers are are heading, and that there still is some pressures there. But um, yeah, but some of the areas that are keeping US CPI up, um, like rents in particular. I mean, I think rents, the sub measure there, actually ticked up slightly this quarter. But looking at the the flow of uh, of rents, which which people are sort of reading from indices like asking rents on Zillow and and those sort of measures, those are all have a pretty firm downward trend embedded. So um, there's still some pretty comfortable pretty comfortable outlook there for the Fed. Certainly going to keep them on the sidelines in, uh, in in September, I would argue. Well, it's probably going to go down because it's got so high, hasn't it? I mean, that's the thing. So Bloomberg's quoting 2038 as the median rent in July in the United States, which is just $16 below the all-time high that was in August last year. But, I mean, it gets to a point, you, you, can, you know, you can argue if, if interest rates go up, then rents are going to go up, aren't they? But it gets to a point where f- affordability starts to be a question, so it starts to come down. So, as you're saying, as we start to see that come down, given that this has been such a large constituent element in the price rises that we've seen over the last month, then that's got to be good, a, a good sign for the next month. Yeah, de- definitely. And, and that's a very different dynamic to what we see you know, in, in Australia, where you've got a more constrained housing market, um, strong st- strong immigration. Yeah, that's keeping pressure on, on asking rents here, whereas in the US, um, yeah, that, that's falling away. And certainly the absolute level is, is going to be a factor in that as well. Right. The other thing that the Fed is going to be happy about, initial jobless claims uh, for last week, they are up from 227,000 to 248,000. So that's pushed the four-week average up as well. So the labour market, I mean, that's not good for people losing their jobs, but the labour market is easing a little. Uh, so, uh, you know, the Fed is going to like that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, you often add, add a fair bit of caution to interpreting jobless claims on a, on a short-term basis, of course, but certainly that 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 is pointing in the right direction. I mean, we're still in the midst of summer holidays. We're still in the midst of yeah, auto sector retooling. So there's all the usual warnings about seasonal adjustment issues. But a little bit of an uptick there is certainly becoming a bit more consistent with um, with with, with broader expectations for for a softer labour market. So once again, yeah, not not going to be unwelcome. So it's only one day of news, of course. But I mean, has it changed the upcoming I mean, CPI? It's pretty important, isn't it? So has it changed the expectations for the Fed? I mean, is the, is that it now? Do we think no more hikes? Uh, I mean, Pat Powell obviously is going to, you know, point to that super core reading as, you know, one sign, a sign of concern. But it, surely, I mean, it just solidifies the the expectation is going to be a hold next time, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, you've got market pricing for the next Fed meetings trimmed back to, to a couple of basis points. You look at total moves over the over the OS curve for the end of this year, there's seven points priced in. So, you know, you'd call that um, you know, effectively the market pricing the Fed to, to, to be on hold um, for, for the rest of this year and then with with a little bit of a, a bias towards some risk of hikes but certainly nothing you know nothing super meaningful right but we've got, um, so we've got mary daly out there though saying you know they've still got more work to do they are still there trying to talk it up aren't they yeah well i think they you know i think they're obliged to keep a bit of a hawkish outlook i mean as long as it's as long as it's credible um you know, given the reliance of the u.s the US economy on, on longer term rates, the Fed doesn't want um, you know, significant cuts to be to be priced in. And to be fair, I mean, there is still a lot of cuts priced in for next year. I think we've got um, still 125 odd basis points, but that's less than it was a few months ago. So the Fed's having a bit of a a bit of a victory there in communicating that rates are going to stay high for a while. Um, so they're they're going to stay some they try and stay credibly hawkish. I think nearly every Fed commentator will. But there's going to be an increasing um, you know, sort of sense of optimism and relief coming in there over time I'd expect as well given what we've got gotten two months two two three months of decent CPI prints now and they get another one they get another CPI print just before the next meeting right so. okay so hopefully that goes in the same direction as well but why then are we seeing so 10-year treasuries 
up uh, seven or eight basis points today, a little less for two years, but they they are also up. I mean, if we're expecting that, you know, we're, we're not going even though it's only a slightly revised downward expectation for how far the Fed's going to go, you would have thought uh, yield to be down a bit, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's a very different story for the coupon treasury curve relative to the front end, isn't it? So I think mm. looking at, um, just sort of looking at the intraday charts, Yields did initially fall as the CPI print came out, which was to be expected with that sort of at expectation to, to slide undershoot, and then began to sell off again a bit later. What really kicked off rising yields on Treasuries, though, and indeed globally for the most part, was a pretty weak uh, 30-year Treasury auction you know, a few hours after the CPI release. So the curve had been steepening just to make a concession for that supply and even then it's still priced you know at a yield higher than where the market was trading beforehand so that seems to have been a bit of a confluence of, uh, of events that, that, that then lifted yields across the entire curve so not just the 30 year but that affected the 10 year as well so yeah we've seen a lot of commentary last week about supply and in general i would argue that supply doesn't make a huge difference to yields but it can make a difference you know if there's an auction amidst in markets, those sort of things, and that may well be what we've seen last night. But it does show there is a bit of nerves about absorbing these really long, um, this sort of really long duration issuance. You know, you compare that to the three-year auction we had early in the week; that went stunningly well. So, um, yeah, so maybe it's just a bit, bit of bit, bit, bit of uh, indication of, of long duration risk appetite as well. All right, okay. Now the yen. Uh, talk us through what's happening there, because this has just been a story, hasn't it, for the last couple of weeks? It keeps falling to the US dollar. The US dollar now close to 145 yen. Governor Radio, of course, from the, from the Bank of Japan, had said the weakness in the currency was part of the reason that they were going to let 10-year bond yields rise above half a percent. They're a little shy of 0.59 uh, percent now, and the yen just keeps getting weaker. So it's not working out for him, is it? No, and um, you know, I mean the ten-year JGB yield is is what I'm watching a little bit more closely in my area, and um, yet they've slipped back below 0.6 in the in the past couple of days. So they had been they reached a peak of around 0.65. If if you can remember, the, this is the area where the board is conducting their nimble operations. I think the underlying this my view is the, is the underlying tactic there is to let the let JGB yields rise to sort of a natural clearing level. A lot of people are citing that it's around 0.8. And yet the, you know, the, the path there obviously has, hasn't been immediate. And um, a, you know, yen weakness is, is certainly in line with, with, with those movements. So, yeah, the bodge hasn't had to be too aggressive in their buying operations to keep JGBs under control, which is, um, yeah, which, which is interesting. So um, it's, hard, it's hard to see exactly what the... What what the future there might be. I think yields are, are going to continue to rise eventually. And, I mean, there can be movements on the US side of things as well. I mean, certainly, you know, US Treasury yields bumping around uh, bumping around 4.1. Um, yeah, that's um, that's not helping the, the yen's case either, even if you look at net yield moves since the bodge actually uh, changed, their, changed their policy. It's, um, it, th- there's no huge changes in um, JGB yields to offshore spread. Yeah, sure, it's a little bit narrower, but, uh, but, but not much. So it's going to take a long time to correct, isn't it, really? Going to have to see US yields come down a long way, and that's going to take a long time, we know, because they're going to keep interest rates uh, higher for longer. So it's a, it's, it's a long-term story for Japan. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Um, yeah, these sort of policies have, that have led to pretty, 
lead the suppression of, of long end yields have been there for a while. It's going to, it may take a while to clear the market overhang. And unlike back in December when the bodge last changed policy, I mean, there was near unanimous expectation globally that, that rates were heading higher. Infl- the peak of inflation was still unsure whether we'd been there. Um, compared to now, you're in a situation where every other global central bank is um, is pretty much effectively effectively done. So yeah, the, the, the argument that... Um, Japanese yields need to move dramatically higher simply because everyone else is. Um, well, okay, sure, there's going to be some catch up there when they eventually do move, but um, but you, you're not in a you're not in sort of a one way global market now. So that, that that probably changes the the reaction functions as well. All right, now today, uh, new wine loans for China. Uh, in a slowing economy with deflation. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what direction that goes. And now, just to add to all of China's problems, a new executive order from President Biden that is prohibiting uh, US investment in advanced semiconductors and quantum computing. The Wall Street Journal today saying uh, the order requires American investors to notify Washington about investments in other types of semiconductors and artificial intelligence. White House officials said the order intends to deny China the know-how, market access and other ventures, uh, other benefits the US venture capital and uh, private equity firms bring with their investments. So, you know, this is a bit more of this, this decoupling from China, isn't it? It just shows how nervous the US and the world generally is uh, about this this AI race. And, uh, you know, everyone, everyone wants to win it. So that's going to be an inter- interesting one to watch. And today, uh, New Zealand manufacturing, PMI, their food price data as well. We get US PPI, if that falls, that's, I guess, going to add to that tick box list for the Fed to, you know, keep things on hold. And uh, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment and Inflation Expectation Measures as well. Do you want to quickly make a comment on any of those before we finish off? Oh, look, I think the consumer inflation expectations are always always something important to keep an eye on. Now, with the falls we've just been talking about before in here in US CPI, it's certainly... it's certainly probably getting past the point where there should be too many surprises there, but still, that's always going to be going to be important to watch. But yeah, PPI. I think you were talking about PPI earlier in the week. Yeah, another important input there as well. That's expected to to, to continue to soften. But I mean, yeah, I think the, one of the bigger risks to inflation, to the inflation outlook or the economic globe output globally, is really um, is is whether goods goods price disinflation can continue. So. Um, yeah, there, there's some signs of that slowing there as well. And actually, something um, worth mentioning in Australia this morning too. Um, you know, Phil Lowe, um, Gov- Gov- Governor Lowe, Deputy Governor Bullock, who's going to be the new governor next month, um, as well as a couple of other senior RBA officials, are all appearing before the uh, House Economics Committee in Canberra. So that'll be uh, be interesting to see. I think. What markets are going to be watching there mostly is going to be whether the, you can sort of distill any nuance between responses from uh, Deputy Governor Bullock and, and Governor Lowe to see if you can get maybe a read on how the tone of uh, the tone of the RBA may change next month. I'm personally not, yeah. not expecting too Old much difference, but they'll, the but they'll watch that. Yeah, so the, yeah. It'll, it'll be watched for that yeah. reason we'll as, be, as a little bit more so than none than these things usually are. We'll be looking for facial expressions, you know, the slight movement of the eyebrows, all that sort of amateur psychology stuff. Well, what could possibly go wrong with that? Uh, okay, <laughs> Ken, uh, Ken, good to talk. Uh, not sure when you're on next, but I'll uh, I'll talk to you then, whenever it is. Yes. Thanks, Phil. Actually, no doubt when I'm next on, though, I'm on this afternoon for the weekend edition of The Morning Call. I hope you can join us for that. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.